It's a little unorthodox to begin with citations, but if you like this topic of AR and VR, I want to point you to some other episodes you might enjoy. Episode four, I talk with one of my favorite organizations, Games for Change, about the XR for Change Summit and a ton of work that Games for Change has been doing to support AR and VR in games and learning for social impact. Go check them out at gamesforchange.org and check out episode four for that info. Episode nine, we talked about AR and museum learning with pioneers at New York's Museum of Natural History. Episode 31, we talked to Emil Cook, an amazing educator in Pittsburgh, about some of the fun stuff he's doing with his classrooms. In episode 48, I did an episode called Tackling Bowie and Syria with uh, commercial producers Vasiliki Konsari of Ink Stories and Nick Dangerfield of Planeta. And I think you'll love the back and forth. We talk about the state of AR and VR and um, get into some, some really good content to hopefully inspire some of your thinking about this, uh, this area. Then in episode 52, Graham Roberts of the New York Times the, uh, tells us about some of the amazing things that they are doing in the context of journalism using AR. My conversation today is with UC Kayala and Mitch Weisberg of an AR VR platform for education called 3D Bear. I'm also joined by Susan Sclafani, a library media specialist from Long Island, New York, who grounds our conversation in the aspects of her own practice that incorporate AR. Be sure to stick around until after UC and Mitch to hear my full conversation with Susan. The episode was born out of what may seem to some of you like a familiar itch that I find myself needing to scratch lately. Almost nine months into a global pandemic, with my own children on Chromebooks in the dining room, I watch them do jumping jacks in front of the computer, emulating the moves of a young adult-looking actor who helps them get the wiggles out during a video filled with awkward pauses left in the edit, where, like in Dora, my kid's supposed to react and talk back. All of the tchotchkes on the old hutch rattle and clang like it's a tiny earthquake. I'm left wondering, what the heck happened to all of the promises and potential of virtual and augmented reality? Why aren't my kids in a virtual gym class playing full-on dodgeball with a small headset and wireless haptics? Wasn't Google Glass introduced like a hundred years ago? Where's our virtual moonshot people? I think 3D Bear is one app that pushes AR and VR for education in the right direction by putting the tools for creating into the hands of educators themselves. For a decade, we've been talking about shifting students from users to creators. And this conversation made me revisit that paradigm and wonder whether we've taken that seriously enough for educators themselves. I don't mean more pre-built learning management platforms with administrator privileges and a grading dashboard. I mean real tools that give educators the reins for producing AR and VR artifacts, helping them prototype what that tech can mean for their own practice. I think you'll enjoy meeting this group. Hi, my name is Mitch Weisberg. I'm COO of 3D Bear US. I've been involved with education for about 20 years. I've been advising education publishers on how to design their products so that they work well in schools. My background is in instructional design and system design, and I'm really happy to be here. So my name is Yusik Ayala. 
I'm one of the founders and CEO of 3D Bear Inc. Um, my background, I've got a PhD in theoretical physics, but I was responsible for developing the XR industry in Finland for three years in the national agency. And there I found the co-founders and we decided to take this adventure and found 3D Bear. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. Yusi and Mitch, thank you so much for being here. I had, uh, I have a lot to talk to you both about. Where I want to start is actually to talk a little bit about how you ended up here. Um, you know, starting with you, Yusi. First of all, thank you for joining us. Um, from Finland, it is the very end of your your work day. Uh, uh, you know, depending on how late you work, I'm sure. Um, hopefully, you have a supper coming to you. Um, but thank you for doing that. And and I just so theoretical physics. I'm I'm fascinated how one goes from a background in theoretical physics to uh, founding an ed tech startup. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, it's not that um, uncommon, actually, because uh, physicists are great problem solvers. That's what we learn to do. Um, and they end up solving problems in many different places. Although I must say that physicists are not known for their social skills, but that's maybe something <laughs> that you know can be compensated by co-founders. So you are you wind up in Finland in a national agency um, that's working in the the industry, working to build an industry around XR. Is that right? So um, people may need a little bit of a uh, a, a thirty second explainer on. We, we're going to talk today about AR, VR, XR may come up. Um, what was Finland trying to do? Trying to build an XR. So Finland previously was known uh, for Nokia. Uh, until it was sold to Microsoft. Uh, and then uh, we are now known for our games industry. So we have a strong games industry hub in several cities in Finland. Supercell, you know, Clash of Clans, Angry Birds, these come from Finland. Um, and XR is also kind of uh, connected with games. It's a kind of a one for running uh, industry using XR and doing the development um, so it's quite a logical place to be here, uh, to be working on building the XR industry. Um, I can uh, also define AR and VR for our listeners. So augmented reality is when you have, for example, a mobile phone and you look through the camera feed or picture of your mobile phone, mm -hmm. you see something augmented, added into the real environment, like Pokemon Go is an example. You saw these Pokemon monsters appearing in your real world through okay. your mobile phone. So that's augmented reality. Virtual reality is something where you are in completely virtual environment. You can wear goggles and mm -hmm. you see nothing else but the digital environment through these goggles. So that's the difference between these two technologies. And I'll, I'd like to say also that both augmented reality and virtual reality 
use files that represent 3D objects. And those files can be used, obviously, augmented reality or virtual reality, but they can also be used in 3D printed. And I think a lot of experts have, have determined we're going to be moving into an, an environment where we're going to be using these 3D files an awful lot. Just take a moment to think, well, I, I want to buy this toy. Instead of going to a store and buying the toy, you may download the instructions for that toy and produce it in your place. Or you may order from a shop that has high-end 3D printers, and they'll be downloading the instructions for that toy, printing it so that they don't have to stock the items. I think that's where we're headed for in the future. And so just the skills of being able to work in a 3D environment are something that this next generation is going to have to develop. Mm. So that's uh, that's such a great um, great breakdown. If you know, part of what we're going to try to do in this conversation is is build a mental map for people around how some of these things work. Because I think that a step that we haven't quite taken that 3D bears very much on um, a, a sort of charter to figure out how to do is to put these tools in the hands of educators. And in, in order to put them in the hands of educators, we need to sort of refine that mental map for how things work, right? So um, I've had previous conversation um, with some, some VR uh, studios and this show, and we talked about things like um, what it would take, for example, to do a 3D rendering of the USS Intrepid, which, if you don't know it, in New York is a giant aircraft carrier. Um, it's a it's a wonderful uh, it's also a wonderful museum, and uh, they they had at one point been they may even I will put links in the show notes if it exists because um, this was probably a year and a half or two years ago now that we we discussed this but the the focus of part of that conversation was about just how much space you needed to um, to store the number of files you would need to render something that large and then and then process it um, so it's really important that as we talk about AR and VR that we are sort of boiling it down to these component parts of the tech itself right because we are in basic terms we're talking about a series of files that helps um, to render uh, either an augmented or a virtual environment, either way, an environment that is somehow supplemented beyond what you're living in currently. So um, that's a that's a great way to um, to describe it. Mitch, I wanted to actually um, – we're going to talk more about that. I wanted to come to you for a second just because you have a wonderful history in ed tech. You've worked with um, publishers. You've worked um, – at a time, I mean, I'm also trained as an instructional designer. Um, I find that people still don't know what an instructional designer does, um, and that's kind of okay with me. Um, but you've been doing this for a very long time, and I'm I'm just interested to hear um, maybe a little bit about your background. But but I'm especially interested in how that background helped you arrive at this wonderful partnership with 3D Bear and, and you know, what, what makes you excited to yet again join a project group that is trying to bring more new things uh, into the classroom? Well, so we've known for a long time that our school systems are not meeting 
the needs that we've set forth. I mean, you look at how many kids don't even graduate from high school. You look at uh, the kids who graduate from high school who really haven't learned how to live. You look at the kids who are graduating from high school who go on to college who aren't really college ready. Um, you look at the kids who could have really soared, who have been basically held back every year because we don't want kids to get too far ahead because we want to control them kind of like a factory. And so the, so what, what, I, what I look at is our school system really is working for very, very few kids. And we're failing that generation. And so, so my life mission, if you will, if you will, is to make education really a catapult so that kids can live, can grow up to live great lives as adults. And the virus, uh, the coronavirus, has really exposed a lot of those issues because when kids are working at home, you don't have a teacher standing over them who can say, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And because all of a sudden they have this choice, they're just not doing the work. And so we have to come up with, with ways to really engage kids and put them in charge of their own learning so that they can learn the things that they really need to learn to be highly functioning adults. You, you do that by starting off and engaging them. You give them tools to help them visualize what they're learning, and you give them tools to help them create what they um, which is probably the best way of learning. And in the process of creating, they're using uh, some of the higher order learning skills, such as applying what they learned, analyzing what they're learning, and th synthesizing what they're learning with other things. I look at 3D Bear and say, wow, you know, they're creating visualizations of what they're learning. They're um, they're applying, they're analyzing, they're synthesizing whatever it is that their teacher is teaching them, putting them together into photos and videos based on augmented reality, and then sharing them with the rest of the class. That's motivating to kids. That's getting kids to learn deeply. And that's preparing kids for their futures as adults. And that's why I'm attracted to 3D Bear. It's terrific. So, so, um, we talked with a, a, a you know, a, a really, I feel so lucky to have talked with, uh, Susan Scalfani, um, isn't she great? And a wonderful um, library media specialist who's just doing some some pretty great things. And and um, he, here's what she had to say about whether this is a terrible time to be talking about AR and VR or just the right time. It, is this all moot at this point? Like, do we just let go of any of these fantasies that these amazing tools are going to become part of our school experience anytime soon? I feel like it's the exact opposite. I feel like the this pandemic, this virtual classroom, this at-home learning has just really blown the doors off of AR and VR experiences because we're not constricted anymore with what devices do we have at school and what Wi-Fi and technology do our buildings have. Um, a lot of our home environments, especially because they're, they have to be equipped to handle these virtual settings, um, have devices now, have Wi-Fi, have hotspots, uh, and our students can really explore a lot more without being in the constraints of a classroom setting. Um, so if anything, I think AR and VR are going to take the forefront of different ways to engage our students in this virtual um, classroom because we can't 
do traditional teaching and it doesn't work <laughs> over yeah. the computer. Yeah. Um, so how do we bring that level of engagement and collaboration and connection that we had in an in-person setting to these at-home situations? Well, we use the latest technology um, and we give our students the tools that they need to to try to create something in a in a world where they feel isolated. Yeah. You know, I think I think it definitely bridges um, people together so that they don't feel isolated and they see that they can be connected, even though they're not sitting next to each other in the classroom anymore. Yeah, she was wonderful. And and so, you know, you see, I wonder for you have a an important perspective coming from Finland, um, you know, one of the questions that uh, I ask in in the back and forth we had over the Google document before this conversation is, you know, um, why, what is your perspective about coming to this from Finland? Finland, um, you know, I, I looked at your uh, the the sort of teaser video for 3D Bear and and you have the former um, former prime minister um, talking about the assets of uh, new tech in schools like this is no um, this is no joke in Finland is, is this so so here Mitch and I are in the U S uh, wondering is this just like another area where Finland kicks our ass in education or do you really do you believe that there is a moment in the U.S. Um, where we can uh, we can share some of these practices and build the same kind of excitement that uh, obviously I'm um, I'm being uh, funny about, uh, you know, kicking our ass in the U.S. They're they're wildly different environments. Um, but but tell me from your perspective, as uh, somebody who's seen the system from um, lots of users in Europe getting into uh, AR and VR. It, do you see an analog in the U.S. where we'd be we will be able to enter and see this stuff work practically? Um, or where is your level of skepticism, particularly in this moment uh, of of COVID? So that's a great question. Um, the virtual learning environments um, help teaching remotely and in hybrid teaching. So they are the thing you want to do during COVID and also if you want to improve the kind of uh, remote and hybrid teaching. Two kind of uh, points that I think in the Finnish educational system stand out, uh, freedom and trust, um, freedom of teachers and trust to teachers. Mm. Um, so uh, in Finland, Teachers are given the freedom to apply the curriculum as they see fit. They don't do comprehensive lesson plans. They might not do lesson plans at all. Um, and there's trust that they will um, do what is the best for the students. And that is measured only by the results, the kind of uh, learning uh, feedback from parents and not um, any sort of serious control um, methods. Yeah. So I think that's uh, where the kind of a foundation of the Finnish education system starts from. And in connection with this VR, AR, um, I think um, another kind of a theme is the 
using and um, emphasizing project and phenomenon-based learning. Mm. Um, these are intrinsic part of the Finnish uh, teaching and curriculum, where you learn about phenomena overall, learn to think about it from different angles, discuss the, you know, the maths of it, the biology of it, the social science of it. Um, you visualize your understanding in different ways, and then student is an active learner in the learning process. And that's the big thing. Because when learning is active, you participate. You kind of set goals to yourself. You you are the director of your own future, in a way. And when you kind of uh, imprint that sort of uh, uh, ideology, I think it's great for learners. But I must say that in US, I'm, I'm really... Um, a positive, uh, and I, I kind of uh, see that the, you know the entrepreneurial spirit is there, the mm. competitive spirit is there. So um, I think that's foundation for great things. It can be you know harnessed to bad, it can be harnessed to good, but if these kind of methods would be mixed with the kind of a competitive spirit, the entrepreneurial spirit that the US people have, I think great results would happen. Mm. So, um, as you know, I'm, I'm really intrigued by, um, we're going to hear from Susan about a couple of ways that she's using 3d bear for AR. Um, I want to, uh, before we do just get a sense from you two, what are on the AR side, because 3d bear can be used for both AR and VR. Correct. You can do simulation that is um, that is full on virtual, and you can do um, augmented work as well. Is that correct? Yes. So um, I'm really interested to hear about some of your favorite examples um, on the AR side. Uh, what are things that you see that that you might have never thought um, you'd you'd see from t teachers using AR or students using AR? Um, I have great examples from Finland, but Mitch actually facilitates our ambassador community globally, and the teachers have done great things overall. Why don't you, Mitch, uh, take this question? So, so the uh, the ideas that the teachers have come up with, and very often the teachers have been working directly with their students to come up with the the ideas themselves, have just been very motivating. So you th you think about poetry and you think about language, and there's a lot of descriptions in poetry. But imagine taking poems and being able to visualize them and create three D scenes based on the what you're imagining is happening in your head as you're reading the poems and then that. you're relating that to other kids who were imagining completely different things and so that you see the richness of the poetry by seeing um videos and photos based on what other people were imagining as they're reading the poetry um i, th I thought that was fantastic um an another uh, series and and different teachers have done this differently is understanding how different 
organisms interact with their environment. So, uh, so understanding how, dif- how, let's say, animals have adapted, say, prey have adapted to avoid predators and how predators have adapted to be able to capture prey mm. and coming up with, well, what if, what if they hadn't adapted or what if something were changed? What would, you know, would, would that make the predator more powerful or would that make the prey better able to adapt against its predator? Right. So what if situations that you could never, you could never say, well, what if, what if a lion had um, grown bigger teeth or what if a lion had been a different color, but you could, you know, you can't experiment like that in the real world, but you can do simulations of that in augmented reality or virtual reality. Um, in math, it's, you know, it's getting kids to understand multiplication because multiplication is really, really similar to, you know, addition, 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 addition. And so being able to visualize that, you know, you're, you're doing multiplication by taking, um, you know, let's say putting things into rows and columns and augmented reality and showing the relationship between math and addition and objects that you care about. Hmm. Um, creating scenarios where, you know, kids, uh, this one teacher was saying her, her kids, you know, they would go to a store and they would buy different things. And then it would always, they'd always bother them. Like, did I get the right change? Yeah. So she's come up with different scenarios. Some are store related, but also an example of, okay, you're going to, you're going to produce a zoo and you have $500 to produce a zoo. And here's the cost of different animals. Now come up with the best zoo that you can. And so there's no one right answer, but students have to come up with how they're going to divide that $500 based on those different animals, how much they're going to have left and they have to justify their decisions. And in the process, they're, they're really understanding how you use math to solve problems. So those are, those are just a few. Um, and I don't want to go on and on. It's so many. They're so good. They're so, so good. Um, here's what, here's one of the, ones I love from Susan. Can you just describe for us the technology by way of um, a lesson that really excites you or a project that you've worked on that really excites you with your students? Sure. I mean, I guess like the first thing to start with is even if you don't know what AR and VR stood for, it doesn't mean that it's too high tech. Um, The technology itself is really simple to use. And a lot of times I hand the tools to my students and say, you know, here's what I want you to do. And they figure it out. Um, So many times they come back to me and I've said, you know, how have you changed that color or what's going on with the back? You know, they, um, you know, are very comfortable on these, on these devices. They learn, you know, learn how to hack the programs. You know, they, they think that they've figured out the secret kind of thing. And, um, their, their enthusiasm is, is just exciting to, to watch because obviously, you know, I'm a middle school librarian now. I was a li- um, elementary librarian for 10 years um, before that. And the elementary students, it's very easy to get them excited. They're, they look at you and, you know, worship you and, you know, want to do whatever you're telling them. And then you switch to this preteen age and they hate you. <laughs> or, you know, they nothing you say is interesting unless their friends think it's interesting. And then, well, then it's cool. Right. But, you know, it's a lot more work as far as engagement, you know, um, they can do a, a lot more than our than our elementary, but you ha- they have to want to, and and to get them to want to is, is tough. So when you hand them a tool where they want to do it, 
right away you're in the win column. Yeah. Um, so when I've seen my students, like we did a great lesson on, you know, sometimes I just use it as, as an introduction and, you know, show me what's important to you. And, mm. and our kids in general are just kind of egocentric and they love talking about themselves. So um, they make a virtual museum and they pick out different things that best describe them. Um, and whether it's whether they play sports or hobbies or foods that they like or animals they love or whatever the case may be, um, and lots of selfies um, that are included in there as well because um, they love taking their own pictures. But then they get to to talk about it um, or write me a little museum guide. And really, it's a window into their life. Mm. Um, and that's important, you know, especially in this virtual age that we're in. We're discovering that it's really important to know what's going on with our kids outside of our classrooms, you know, what their home environments are like, what their struggles are, you know, what their successes could be. Um, so to use AR as a non-threatening, inviting tool for them to expose their real person to me um, makes it our connection right off the bat and gives me stuff throughout the year to build upon and ask about um, their soccer game or their piano lesson or their little baby brother that was just born, you know, all that mm. stuff that that personal connection that our kids need now more than ever. So she talks about um, ways that she's using AR to basically just help create um, safe spaces for students in her classrooms and um, getting to know one another. I love we got into a conversation there about um, the ways that this tech has afforded her an ability to teach in a way that's a little bit more accessible to introverts, right? So um, so I love that about it, the idea that you can create a personal museum and not on the first in the first week of school or the first week of this class um, feel like, you know, if I'm not the outspoken uh, kid who's going to give you a whole uh, oral presentation that is um, wonderful about you know, my life and, and who I am, uh, I still, um, you know, if, if I'm not that kid, I'm not going to succeed or I'm not going to be known to the teacher or to my peers, et cetera. Um, I love that, that, uh, what she's doing there. So, um, so that's the AR side. I, I want to flip because we don't have a ton of time and I want to talk a little bit about, um, simulation, and the world of work. Like we were talking a little bit, Mitch, you mentioned the idea of, um, you know, on the, on the technical side, building, um, building what it takes to build files and, and make sure that we have what we need to create environments or, or manipulatives in, um, in these environments. I do want to talk about some great examples um, that you have around ways that AR and VR are being used in uh, vocational or career and technical education in, in Europe, you see. Um, I, I want to focus in on two examples that we talked about and who's, and and links to which I'm going to put in the show notes so that people can spin through what it is we're talking about. But can you tell me about two examples? One is the interior design, uh, the AR example for interior design. Um, and then I also want to talk about the example um, that is the, uh, the industrial um, – 
the the simulation for where you get to blow up a factory <laughs> industrial con- control rooms because because that that really um i think is just such a great amplification of what's possible in the simulated environment absolutely um so starting off with the augmented reality example in interior design so we have um, in many cities, schools are already in use, uh, augmented reality technology um, that can be used to build interior designs. So um, some of you might have used an app where you can look what, you know, a chair from Ikea or any other furniture shop looks at home. It's kind of a sophisticated version of it. So we've built together with educators custom collection of furniture um, and other interior design elements that you can use to build different compositions of interior design. Then you can change color, you can change the texture materials, stretch them and do anything basically you want with the models to make your design right. You can do this at practice facilities like we have on-site uh, campuses which have like empty rooms where you do this design. Um, you can do it at home. You can do it at customer, where, wherever you have access to a mobile phone. So you can go to a customer. You're building, I don't know, a kitchen. Um, you can show there in his or her kitchen that, look, this is what your kitchen's going to look like. Do you like it? If not, let's just change the design here on my phone so that you like it, because when I build it, it's going to be difficult to change after that. So it's a huge competitive advantage for these interior designers. Um, Obviously, learning this technology um, requires some steps. And for that purpose, we have put together online courses for our city school customers, so they can use them to lead the students through the process of where they do this. On top of that, the collections are not limited Mm. what is there. So uh, first of all, there's everything that's on some of the online repositories is available through this uh, tool. So there's millions of different models you can use for interior design. And you can bring in your own. So there's open interface. So if you have... Uh, some 3D models that you want to bring in, you can just bring them in into AR. You can bring your own models. And this is also important because then you can source these 3D models locally from local furniture manufacturers so that when you go to a customer, you can show real designs that you could buy from from a furniture provider. Yeah, we all all saw, um, there's a couple examples that have come up um in the conversation so far so we talked about in the ar realm we talked about pokemon go there's also what you're making me think of too is maybe two years ago everybody was hyped about um you know furniture manufacturers doing these ar apps where you know you'd you'd go go um you could walk around your house and put ikea furniture into um into different spaces in your house and a, a lot of other furniture manufacturers did them as well um 
so so that what's wonderful about that whether or not it actually took off as as something that uh consumers had much interest in um what is wonderful about it is that um those 3D files um are around and uh often very available which is very cool when you think about it in the context of interior design for example but but I would imagine um in uh, in in engineering and elsewhere, um, is it true that there are more 3D files general? Like, are are there manufacturing partners, industry partners out there who are building open libraries for 3D files um, to be used for education? Um, some, but I think that the greatest thing is that scanning is becoming more and more popular. Uh. And you can buy a handheld scanner, $500. iPhone 12 has a LiDAR, so there's some functionality already on consumer devices as, as well. So anybody will be able to scan anything into uh, and have it, you know, real in 3D and bring it into AR. So this will be become much and much easier, and it's all already here in career and technical education. Yeah. And uh, just a, a lesson not that far in the future, in February, we're going to be landing a rover on Mars. So you could have kids take the files from that rover and some of its artifacts and and use a terrain similar to the terrain on a virtual terrain, similar to the terrain on Mars. And you could show reenactions, reenactments of some of the things that that rover is going to be doing. Imagine the science lessons that you could have around that in advance of, of the rover landing and then while while the rover is there to be able to follow what it's doing and really understand what what the scientists are trying to do mm. and to be clear um it's not you two who are landing the rover on mars uh, it's me actually <laughs> okay I, I, really I, in my backyard have i have the, I, I launched it <laughs> It's you know it's uh, NASA. It's NASA. I feel like uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, wouldn't that be cool if in our right. lifetime some some kid launches a uh, launches a rover from her backyard? Um, so so tell me about um, now. I want to. I, I do want to talk about this uh, the simulated environment for the that industrial control room. Um, to give people a sense, I, I am going to drop the the video um, both on facebook.com slash no such thing, the, the um, page where I tend to store a lot of this stuff, and we'll also have it in the show notes so people can access it from there. Um, but tell us, tell us, sort of give me um, as good a walkthrough as you can do for something like this without um, looking at it. If it was, uh, let's let's pretend this is the audio version. Right. So um, there is a virtual learning environment that we've done together uh, with uh, Carreria using our technology um, uh, to simulate how to practice maintenance operations in a factory. It's actually um, oil uh, refinery pilot plant. Um, and it starts on a control room where you have the factory's automation system visible. Uh, you look at it and you notice that there's something wrong. The sirens are actually calling. 
the factory is about to explode and you need to go urgently to the field to perform the right um, maintenance operations. Yeah. You read the process automation chart, go to the field, you need to remember to disinfect your hands so the coronavirus doesn't spread yeah. and uh, wear a safety goggles and do all the necessary health and safety. And then you get to the uh, facility and you need to navigate through uh, it, looking at what valves I need to open, what switches do I need to turn off and on, what, sh what, what machinery do I need to operate to fix this critical issue of one line not um, um, uh, taking the liquid through the right place. Yeah. Um, and uh, with, this can be multiplayer, so some players can be in the controlling room, some people or one person doing the field operation, and they need to communicate, read the process charts right, and the person in the field needs to do real uh, maintenance operations. And what's great about it, it's, that, uh, it's as if it was a real situation. And this simulation is not, you know, created a game by game developer. It's not electronic arts. It's 60 years old process engineer without prior IT skills who created this. And this is the beauty where the technology has come to. These platforms we're providing, they're so easy to use that anybody can create these virtual learning environments, the interior design, this practicing maintenance operations and factory. And when that's the case, the question really comes to what do I teach with this? What, mm -hmm. are, what do I want to learn with it? And then, you know, all millions of teachers in the world become content creators. It's like Minecraft on AR, so, um, which they did, but that didn't work that well yet. Mm. <laughs> so that's um, how it works. It's terrific. I mean, when you, when you, um, you know, so this, the example isn't what's novel, right? The, the idea of simulation for, for um, creating an analog environment where you can train, um, even now in, you can train in customer service through simulation. Um, what is very different about it is that as you're watching it, you you do um, see how accessibly um, one can manipulate these tools. And so that transition that education has been talking about for, uh, well, I hope we continue to talk about it until we realize it fully, but from consumers to producers um, and putting educators in that seat um, – I say educators, broadly speaking, right? Educators of all kinds, trainers, um, uh, corporate educators, K-12 educators, et cetera. But putting them in that seat where they can create, I think, is um, is what's really powerful and exciting about what 3D Bears is up to. Um, so, so the next question that any educator is going to ask um, is – you know, about the nuts and bolts of procuring tech like this, right? So um, so my question is, what will be the thing that helps this tech break free from the stigma of always being a Jetsons flying car, right? So something that exists in a lab somewhere but isn't yet practical for everyone. And I feel like um, – I feel like in in spite of everything 3D Bear has done to make this extremely accessible, 
Um, I want to give you two the opportunity to talk about just how accessible it is and what thinking you've done about things like procurement for schools or how much hardware they need to run these things or, um, you know, like, you know, tell me, are we um, are we still in Jetson's flying car mode or do you do you feel like um, we are? the paradigm is shifting in a place that's going to be meaningful to us. There's a paradigm shift or there's, there's two different paradigms that you really need. Um, if your paradigm is, I want my kids to score well on end of year tests, then you're not going to go to 3D Bear because 3D Bear is about developing the person as a thinking, highly functioning person. Hmm. If you can change from that mindset to the mindset, I want to develop my kids so that they can have great lives, then the learning curve and the cost of implementing 3D Bear in augmented reality or, or virtual reality are really very small. But you have to have that shift in focus away from, I want my kids to pass the tests to, I want my kids to succeed as human beings. I'm sure it varies widely um, what it would cost a school. But for a, a teacher like Susan, um, she's found it pretty accessible. Um, how does a teacher like how does a teacher like Susan, uh, you know, a- acquire 3D Bear and what does it cost them? So if you were um, if you were a school, uh, more so than a teacher, let's say your cost for 3D Bear are going to be somewhere between uh, $7 and $2 a student. If you're an individual teacher and you want 3D Bear, then you probably are gonna be taking a look at, I want my kids to be working in groups. So if I have a class of 30 kids and I have to pay for this out of my teacher's budget, then I probably need maybe 10 copies of 3D Bear for my class so I can put my kids together in groups. And so there, you know, the cost might end up being two or three dollars per kid because I'm combining kids working in groups to produce their their output on 3D there. Great. And what, what just so that we, um, you know, the the educators listening can understand it, what are the kinds of tools on the educator side that they have to um do things like review projects and check progress and those sorts of things? Well, there's a teacher dashboard. Um, and we, we have uh, teach training videos and we also have uh, sessions that we do with teachers to bring them through. How do you use the design thinking process, which we've broken down into seven steps, in order to walk kids or groups of kids through the process monitor how well they're doing and really excite them and engage them in the process. And I would assume I, I, I actually, um, I went there. I want to make sure, um, at the end, we'll give you an opportunity just to point people to where they can go and demo and, um, and, uh, sample. Could I comment on the Jetsons flying? Yes, please. Cause I think, so the tool is available already most likely on your mobile device. Just go to App Store and Google Play and download it. It's called 3D Bear. Um, or not all the schools have uh, 
new enough devices. New enough is like five years old or younger. So that's the kind of the uh, limit. So soon, um, almost everybody will have a device that runs uh, 3D Bear. And the reason is that here we are using technologies by Apple and Google, namely ARKit and ARCore. And these technologies enable the use of native augmented reality. So all the devices that have it uh, basically run uh, 3D Bear. I think one great uh, innovation that will make uh, AR fly um, is AR glasses, the goggles. Mm. They've been under the works by many players like Apple for a long time. And they could be like your eyeglasses. You just wear them. Normally, you don't notice the difference. But when you turn on the AR mode, then you can do stuff like, you know, inter-design on see secret messages or geocaches that are actually digital popping up. Yeah. So that's the huge innovation that's going to change things. One more thing connected with this is that as the AR is already available on most consumer devices, the only thing preventing it to kind of fly so that everybody uses it is... Um, communications or visibility. So I think when a Indian Bollywood star does a promotion using AR, mm. that could be you know, what cracks the consumer market for, for, for the technology. That makes a lot of sense. Do you, do you both think, I, I have um, two, two remaining questions before we um, make way for, uh, I'm going to drop the rest of my interview with Susan Sclafani um, at the end of our talk, um, just so that folks can hear more from an educator who is um, deep into the tech and and um, and doing it at a time when she is uh, facing what all of us are in this, um, in this crazy context that we are in at the moment. Um, I, I want to ask, are you both having new conversations specifically around there's a the conversation in career and technical education that's coming up a lot now is you know the the bricks and mortar schools were um the setting where career and technical education was set apart in the sense that we all knew, even even when uh, we were kids, that if you were doing a vocational program or a career and technical program, it was going to be more hands-on. Um, folks are worried about what happens to hands-on, and I just I wonder if you can provide some context about either um, conversations you're having uh, or you know product thinking that you're doing in order to sort of meet some of that need. So it's. There's a couple things with career and technical and vocational training. When I mentioned earlier about the mind shift from taking the test to developing the kid, the people who were teaching career and technical education teach that way now. And so when we show them things that you can do with 3D Bear, they get it like that because that's what they naturally do. The other thing that they're fi- that they found in the last year is that a lot of the lab work that they needed that the kids really need to be able to do in order to learn the vocation they can't do that lab work now they can't go out to stores they can't go into factories um, they can't go out into the field and they're finding that they can do the simulations in virtual or augmented reality 
to still give the kids the practice time. That's like replacing what they were doing, but but they're finding now that they can do things in virtual reality and augmented reality that they could never have done in a real lab. Just take that factory example. We can't have kids go to a factory and try to fix the factory knowing that if they make a mistake, the factory is going to blow up. Mm. But in a simulation, if they screw up, the factory is gone. Yeah. And then they have to start all over again. But they can do that in augmented reality or virtual reality. And so they're finding a lot of things like that where they would never have even thought of teaching the kids a certain way. But because because it's virtual and nobody can really do any harm, they can allow the kids to make a lot more mistakes. And you learn best by making mistakes and learning from them. Do I need um, – one of the concerns there from an equity lens is – you know, how much processing power do I need at home? For example, um, I've talked to some schools recently who are having to, you know, there's like this, this resurrection of VDI, um, you know, in schools, you know, virtual, virtual desktops and virtual and sort of thin client kind of technology that allows kids to log into a server that's at school. Um, are you seeing any of that happening as a result of wanting to do 3D and, and virtual or, um, or does 3D Bear have a way of answering that question that's more simple? Like you see, you mentioned that um, these things are, 3D Bear's app is available on um, on your mobile device. So uh, right. does that change the game for accessibility the way you see it in terms of how many kids are just sort of, are not able to, um, for example, be on Zooms all day? It absolutely does. So the mobile access is, I think, a crucial factor and another is that the VR experiences can be experienced in a browser uh, on, on a laptop or a Chromebook. But I think that the critical uh, problem is that schools need to be a little bit more adaptive and allow students to use their own devices. Yeah. So um, before that happens, you know, mobile uh, doesn't help. And there's one thing that I, I really want to say that yeah, I think adaptive Adaptation here is the key. Now is you know coronavirus crisis, and I feel like people are really safeguarding you know the wrong things. It's it's not like the time that you kind of are focused. No, now you cannot use your own mobile devices. You should use all that is possible to let the people learn. I think it's so simple. So um, if there's like strict regulations which I think some uh, states or cities or districts are very fond of. Now it's the time to kind of lessen the barrier a little and let people learn with, you know, the devices they have access to. Kind of like when I was in college, you weren't allowed to use a calculator. Who would, who would say that today? Oh, no using, no using of calculators to do your math homework yeah. or your calculus homework. Yeah. Um, yes, this is we've, – we've had this um, – Interesting. Uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll try and point in the show notes to some of my past episodes with folks like um, Kathy Davidson, who had a lot of ideas about uh, <laughs> about this, and she talked about uh, her husband for one, who has some great stories about um, about uh, you know what what tools were were and weren't required um to do math uh over different generations and why like what you've had you've had some really great sessions on no such thing i i appreciate it and and uh this you know the 
I think the job for all of us is to continue um, these conversations moving forward. And, you know, I ask um, questions like, is this, are we still in uh, Jetson's flying car mode? In part because I think we need to continue to put these, uh, whether they are, you know, straw people or, um, or not, I think we need to continue to put these questions out there and, and be, um, considering them seriously with, with educators, wherever, um, wherever we can in the room, uh, or, or at least making sure that they have a voice. Um, because some of these barriers, like we're mentioning here, um, you know, are are surmountable? Are things that we can we can overcome? Um, but we do need really cooperative ways of getting through them. I wonder uh, for the two of you, if you had a crystal ball, um, what are the things you are? Is there one or two things that you're dying to know about the next te- ten months and how it pans out? Yeah, I'd like to know if we're going to use this as an opportunity to to grow. Use this COVID as an opportunity to grow or whether we're just going to try to go back to something that really isn't going to be there again. And, I, and I'm hoping that as a society, we say, you know something, this has exposed certain things that we really knew were there and we're going to pull together and we're going to surmount them and we're going to be better than we've ever been before. That's my hope. Love that. Education is our future. And I, I will be closely watching, uh, the investment in education in the United States and how it will change. At the moment, it seems that the uh, additional CARES funding that the schools are getting is not nearly enough to cut, you know, it. Uh, the, the budgets are decreasing from other sources more than the additional funding. Mm-hmm. To be able to function in these diff- difficult times, to me, it's uh, certain that more investment is needed. Agreed, and uh, and hopefully um, we will, with a transition of power in the U.S. Department of Education, um, we will also see some new priorities taking shape around how we budget. So um, lots lots more to come there. Um, you see, and Mitch, I can't thank you enough. Um, before we go. Uh, plug away are there where do you want to point people to get the best of um, 3d bear so there are two places first of all just try it Uh, 3d bear i um on your mobile phone store you'll find it app store google play or you can go 3dbear.io slash free trial and you'll get one month premium for free. It's terrific, and there is I do love about your um, about the website that there is a uh, there's an entire uh, area for CTE educators, um, which is great. Um, Mitch, you also host an awful lot of important conversations and and are involved with other conversations around the field. Is there anything else uh, you know uh, everyone loves in the time of COVID? Um, a great open resource, new dialogue, things to look out for, anything you want to point people to uh, beyond 3D Bear? Well, so as you brought up, I host edchatinteractive.org, which is a it's, it's interactive webinars where educators are sharing best practices. So one of the things we have coming up is something called Sexy Assessment, which is coming up next week. Whoa. In, 
Yeah. Two words cause, cause, Two words you do not hear often. Right, right. Together, right? And then we also have one of the, uh, the head reading coaches of New York City talking about um, interesting uh, free reading coaching materials that she's found over the last five years. And she's had... Uh, She's had 30 reading coaches in New York scouring the internet for free resources, and she's going to be talking about what some, what some of those uh, free resources are. So she's going to be on EdChat Interactive in in about three weeks. So edchatinteractive.org, it's free. I do it because I get to meet some really interesting people. Wonderful. Um, and I hope, I hope you will send me uh, details for the um, – the reading resources as well um sure. so so i can um i will point to them in uh in upcoming episodes um you see mitch i can't thank you enough this was really fun and i'm so glad that we're talking about this right now i think um never ne- what, what do they say uh never waste a good crisis right. um, i think that while this often sounds um flip in a way that turns people off i also think that there is something to this that mitch you know you you spoke eloquently about are we going to use this moment to um to progress and to evolve um i think that's what uh if lots and lots of educators who i know had their way um that's where we'd be headed so um here's to great things in 2021 right around the corner and i'm really grateful for both of your time today thank you thank you for the opportunity thank you, mark a pleasure hello my name is susan scalfani i am the library media specialist at oregon middle school which is in the patchog medford school district on long island new york i feel like people often think that the first of all the teacher who is into this stuff, AR and VR. So um, augmented reality and virtual reality are the terms that we're talking about. So just so that I don't blow past folks who may be coming new to this conversation. Um, these are different systems that do different things, but are often clumped together because they often are based on uh, similar, similar software. Um, anyway, I think the perception is often that the folks, the teachers who are in the field who are into this stuff are definitely not book people and librarians and folks who um, believe in the some of the, the traditional aspects of learning. Um, that's not you. Um, and I wonder if you can just talk for a second about, you know, just that – in terms of your own philosophy, how does the high tech meet the low tech and, and why is that important? Sure. I mean, you know, the traditional or the stereotypical librarian, you know, doesn't exist anymore. I mean, we feel like we are leading the charges, not only just because of the makerspace movement, but because we are library media specialists. Um, And I love, of course, books and learning. Uh, I mean, you know, paper in my hand. um, But sometimes due to a pandemic, you know, you're not going to have that because it's dangerous at this point. Uh, But just because we're using high-tech tools does not absolutely place storytelling and um, exposure to literature and 
thoughts and ideas and elements of of stories and of of structure, uh, it just enhances it, and it just creates um, you know a community of these learners who are not maybe brought up on a lot of paper books, but you know have iPads in their hands at young age and um, digital. Um, resources and ebooks and how do we now continue that excitement about those things um, but still cover the content and the curriculum that we need to so I think that you can absolutely still love what you love um, and use these mediums to you know um, engage your students as well yeah Tell me about uh, the thing I loved in doing the quick – you were willing to do this interview on very short notice, and um, I am so grateful. I always say – I feel like I'm a broken record, but one of my favorite parts of producing this show is that I get to um, internet stalk people and just see what cool stuff practitioners are up to. Your photos just in your Twitter um, feed are so fun. Um, and so I just wanted to have you talk about, so, uh, I'm, I'm talking to these guys at 3d bear. I want, you are a, an, an ambassador, um, for 3d bear. And, um, can you just describe for us the technology by way of, um, a lesson that really excites you or a project that you've worked on that really excites you with your students? Sure. I mean, I guess like the first thing to start with is even if you don't know what AR and VR stood for, it doesn't mean that it's too high tech. Um, the technology itself is really simple to use. And a lot of times I hand the tools to my students and say, you know, here's what I want you to do. And they figure it out. Um, so many times they come back to me and I've said, you know, how have you changed that color or what's going on with the back? You know, they, um, you know, are very comfortable on these, on these devices. They learn, you know, learn how to hack the programs. You know, they, they think that they've figured out the secret kind of thing and um, their, their enthusiasm is, is just exciting to, to watch because obviously, you know, I'm a middle school librarian now. I was a li um, elementary librarian for 10 years um, before that. And the elementary students, it's very easy to get them excited. They they look at you and, you know, worship you and, you know, want to do whatever you're telling them. And then you switch to this preteen age and they hate you <laughs> or, you know, they nothing you say is interesting unless their friends think it's interesting. And then, well, then it's cool. But, you know, it's a lot more work as far as engagement, you know, um, they can do a, a lot more than our than our elementary. But you ha they have to want to. And, and to get them to want to is, is tough. So when you hand them a tool where they want to do it, right away, you're in the win column. Yeah. Um, so when I've seen my students, like we did a great lesson on, you know, sometimes I just use it as, as an introduction and, you know, show me what's important to you. And, mm. and our kids in general are just kind of egocentric and they love talking about themselves. So um, they make a virtual museum and they pick out different things that best describe them um, and whether it's whether they play sports or hobbies or foods that they like or animals they love or whatever the case may be um, and lots of selfies um, that are included in there as well because um, they love taking their own pictures but then they get to to talk about it um, or write me a little museum guide and really it's a window into their life mm. 
Um, and that's important, you know, especially in this virtual age that we're in, we're discovering that it's really important to know what's going on with our kids outside of our classrooms, you know, what their home environments are like, what their struggles are, you know, what their successes could be. Um, so to use AR as a non-threatening, inviting tool for them to expose their real person to me, um, makes it our connection right off the bat. And gives me stuff throughout the year to build upon and ask about um, their soccer game or their piano lesson or their little baby brother that was just born. You know, all that stuff that that personal connection that our kids need now more than ever. You know what I love about that is um, I was actually just talking to a group of teens um, who are virtual interns at our uh, um my day job at NAF, formerly the National Academy Foundation. And um, I was talking to them about um, skills for talking to people about your ideas. And and, um, one of the things I was sharing was about how much you don't realize our system rewarding extroverts over introverts. And um, in fact, it doesn't not only does it not mean that um, the ideas of extroverts are better, <laughs> it um, is it's absurd in a whole a whole bunch of ways. But what I love about what you just described is that it really honors introverts um, and levels of playing field, right? Because we all kind of come into a new learning environment and we're used to that kind of like go around, tell me about yourself, which is actually not a terribly accessible way um, to engage all different um, personality types or, or and, styles. And could be terrifying for oh that gosh. introvert. Like, don't get to me, don't get to me, please let the bell right. ring. <laughs> so, you know, and I can see so that. Neat. Yeah. Um, just a way to do it, like a, per, a little personal museum. Uh, man, such a such a cool idea. Um, so you're using mostly the AR, the augmented reality aspect. And tell me just quickly about how hard is it? So let's assume you have um, – is it safe to assume that you're doing this on tablet? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, mobile device related, right? So, so our students bring, they have their own or, or you have a cart of some kind. This is why I was saying like the virtual kind of leads to this. The only sticking point is always the technology. So I have, um, seven iPads, um, in my library that were just kind of handed down to me from, you know, something that a program that dissolved and, Oh, what do we do with this iPads? And I go, I'll take them. So, um, you know, they're a couple years old at this point, so they handle some things, but, you know, not everything. Um, I did do a a big project, a school-wide project, where my students redesigned our school based on an initiative uh, to get some flexible learning seating in our buildings. I love that. So rather than um, us tell the kids, like, this will be fun for you, I said, why don't we ask the kids what will be fun for them, what they will want uh what they think will be fun for them rather than us always telling them so um that was amazing and they built it uh, in ar they built it in ar they used 3d bear we we we, cre- we coined a new verb called 3d bearing it and um <laughs> they ran around the building and put things in the front lobby and in the cafeteria and in the gymnasium and in my library and in classrooms um and really just showed what they wanted to what they wanted their rooms to, to look like uh, and we were able to present some of that to 
um, the superintendent and the principal and some of the things were purchased. So that was super exciting too, when they came back in September and, and saw, um, the swivel chair that they wanted in their classroom or the high top tables they wanted in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the technology, a lot of my students brought in their own devices mm-hmm. and I did get kind of special permission for them to use it for this particular project. Um, because, you know, let's be honest, they're walking in with the new iPhone. It's better than my seven-year-old mm-hmm. iPad that's on the shelf. So that's why I feel like in this environment where our kids are really using a lot of their own personal devices, it's a great time to explore something like 3D Bear or other um, AR and VR technologies because lots of times it's a free app download and they can use it, you know, on their new iPhone, you know. Yeah. The jargon you hear a lot in um, in education is hands-on, right? And and um, which is good jargon in a way. I mean, it helps sort of guide us to a place, um, centers us around something that's really important, which is that tactile experience. Um, are there are there things you're doing that are giving students um, special access to things, or or connecting you in ways that? Um, you know, you wouldn't be able to do during, you know, um, non-COVID times. Like, are there examples that you have where the the virtual hands-on is kind of coming to life for you? Um, I think especially with AR, the setting is really important, right? Because you're augmenting the reality that already exists. Like VR, you're going to a different place and you're creating a whole new world. But AR, you're changing your world. Mm. So the fact that everybody's in a different setting adds to the adds to the project. So, you know, depending on whether they're using their home environment or their neighborhood environment or, you know, um, if they took any kind of a trip with their family environment, I think that lend, you know, adds to the discussion and the exposure and just the collaboration and connection with our students. Um, because sometimes, you know, if we're doing a, a redesign project, well, that's great. You want to be in the school because you're redesigning those rooms. But if you're doing some kind of a storytelling project or um, a science lesson or a social studies theme thing, you don't necessarily all need the same background. It actually gets boring if you look at the same classroom wall time and time again. So the fact that these can come in and can all look different not only leads, you know, has a discussion about the augmented components that the students have um, applied, but also like, well, where is that? Mm. <laughs> where, you know, where were you? And why did you pick, you know, that part of your backyard? Or why did you ask your mom to drive you to the park? Or, you know, like, um, so it, it adds another layer that the students have to kind of explain and um, understand themselves as to what would what setting, what background would really um, support what I'm trying to show here to my teacher? Nice. So, yeah. For for teachers who um, are, as you are, um, anyone in the space is, we're, we get inundated by folks who are building software that, you know, they claim is going to transform our practice or the classroom for you, I'm going to assume that you've seen other um, players in this space. Were there things for that that set 3D Bear apart that made it more usable for you, or, or um, you know, like what makes you feel like it, it's the tool for you? Um, I think just the um, 
usability of 3D Bear and the and the ease of it. Like it doesn't take a lot of time. And and if you talk to teachers about like what's the one thing we would want more, it's time with our students mm-hmm. or time to review. Uh, you know, you have them do an assignment and then the bell rings and you haven't reviewed it yet or you haven't or you know as a librarian, I'm always advocating for teachers to come into my room and let's work on things and do project-based learning and come on, come on. And they're looking at me saying, I have my curriculum to cover and I have to, you know, it's almost Christmas break and I got to get to that, you know? So um, 3D Bear is so easy to use that the, the students are done. Like you can have, lay out the task, have the students complete the task and review it using their teacher dashboard within a class you know, within the 42 minute class period, mm. you know, what in a package wrapped up with the bow sent away, you know, so they have that experience because we all know is nobody as an educator is arguing that project based learning isn't good. We know that that's the way yeah. that they're going to learn and retain and and um, and walk away feeling um, confident about their contact content rather. But having the time to do the projects is what, you know, makes everybody nervous. But I liked this app because. I could guarantee that we will be done in a class period. Mm-hmm. You know, it will, and uh, and that was a selling point for any teacher that was like, okay, I want, I do want them to play, I want them to be engaged. I just need to make sure I review for the test on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have you needed to use their support at all? Um, definitely, especially I've been with them from the beginning, um, and uh, as the app developed, you know, new things would pop up or. Or my students would tell me a lot of things, um, even with just their gallery um, options. I would say, you know, my kids really want to see, you know, a banana in here or, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, if if the, the, the name came up a couple of times, I'd be like, look, we're looking for a snowflake, you know, or whatever it was. Um, they're so um, welcoming and encouraging and receptive. Uh, when I was working on the redesign project, it was before 3D Bear had their kind of funky flexible seating gallery included. So I worked a lot with their tech department over there, just tossing ideas back and forth, designs back and forth, um, converting to SDL files. I mean, stuff that I thought, I, I, even when I say the things now, I can't believe it's stuff that I've done because it sounds so complicated and high tech, but I think any of us that dive into this education technology world realize that Oh, actually, that's not that hard. Yeah. Um, you know, like it sounds super fancy, but it's really just click, click and click. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, but they they're just such a welcoming um, and excited company that it's been a pleasure to work with them. Yeah. Do you. So I think one of the hardest things for people to wrap their heads around with respect to you just talked about project based learning Um is and this is something I talk um, constantly about at at, uh, at my organization is like is assessment right and I think one of the things um, I've heard a lot of educators not quite sure what to do with is any of these technologies and you know as it intersects with assessment so like I've seen some folks who are actually using these technologies as assessment it's like here's a simulation I want you to walk through and, you know, it's almost like a living test in a way. Then I've seen um, products, you know, maybe this, the um, self-museum that you described is like one aspect of a digital portfolio. Are you seeing cool things um, in relation to assessment or how, if you had a presentation to give tomorrow at, um, 
either the summer or winter fancy uh, ed tech conference. Um, uh, how would you talk about assessment? Like, is it even something that is crossing your mind right now? Oh, of course. I mean, you know, as much as we'd like to say, it's not all about the grade, you know, the parent and the, and the student and the school want to see, you know, the grade entered into um, whatever mm-hmm. grading system you're using, whatever parent portal. Um, and I think that, you know, the thing about using ed tech and especially like AR is Right, we're not running it through a scantron. Um, it's really uh, subjective in terms of like the kids. I, I was talking to one one woman. We're we're working on a, a in an academy right now, and she found a whole bunch. I mean, you know, you can find millions of assessments out there for for technology, and then together with the students decided the parameters. Mm. So I think just this continuous march of giving students more of a voice, especially as they get older, because um, they don't like being told what to do. Mm. We don't like being told what to do, you know? So, and we're trying to to create these young adults kind of thing. Um, so to allow them to, to, to choose the parameters or to say, you know what, here are our, um, here's our augmented reality rubric but what elements will we not need for this particular task? And um, to have them kind of look and decide uh, to, to, you know, understand what they're going to create and how they want to be judged on it. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe it really has to be, you know, really open-ended. And, and that's what's kind of the, the beauty of this is that the things are going to look really different. I mean, you can say, okay, in your augmented reality museum, I want you to have at least five items. I mean, like there can, there have to be basic parameters. Otherwise our students would, you know, not Mm -hmm. complete, complete the task. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you don't want to be too controlling because this technology really lends to them examining and their imagination and examining what, you know, what their internal picture uh, is and putting that out to the world. So the assessment component of it is just really basic, I think. Um, and then really, as long as they're able to explain and support the decisions that they made in this augmented reality, then, you know, everyone gets an A. Well, what I love, what I love about what you describe is, is um, that this tech can be, you know, there's there's an old version of EdTech, which is really about um, monitoring and control, right? And um, the opposite of agency, which is what you're describing. And I love um, the pendulum over on this side, um, you know, where we're talking about tech that can actually put um, the power. You know, you make me think um, when you're talking about assessment of self-assessment is one of the most important skills when I'm hiring new employees, um, you know, do, do I trust that this person can can look inward and reflect critically on what kind of job they've done, how they've interacted with their peers along the way, um, what more they want to learn from here? You know, those kinds of, of things are the, the parts of agency and assessment that we've sort of left out of our, our institution and and in a way, what you're describing is this is a tool that kind of brings that dialogue back up. And um, anyway, I love that. Is there anything else I should ask you about um, 3D Bear that I haven't? Um... Well, I just like just in terms of what you were saying, you know, and to 
to kind of build off of something you said earlier about leveling the playing field. I mean, um, a lot of times when I have my traditional, you know, my struggling students in a traditional learning environment use this app, whether it's because they're in some kind of a, you know, a special education setting or an English language learner setting, um, they can tell me what, you know, they can show me what they think, what they they can, you know, show me about themselves or they can show me their digital story. I, the success that they have um, using these these mediums rather than, you know, an old fashioned one where they feel unsuccessful mm-hmm. um, has been really incredible to watch and to see. And I do, you know, think that there, are, of course, are times and places for the Scantron test and, the, you know, and, and the traditional assessment. But like you were saying with you know, self-reflection and peer reflection, um, review, um, that stuff is just more meaningful. I mean, not to, to diminish our role as, as a teacher, because of course there are things that, you know, we need to, to show the students, but I feel like in this shift of education where they're walking around with an encyclopedia in their hands and, you know, we we need to shift from that idea of, you know, skill and drill to thinking Mm -hmm. and how are, how are our kids going to think and explore and explain, um, and using these kinds of technologies really allow for that conversation, even when assessing or when presenting or just when accomplishing a task. Mm. So for me, I just feel like it's a, it, it's a great tool in this, in the shift that we're in and we're not going back. <laughs> yeah. Think, explore, explain is a really nice, um, framework for, um, teaching with these tools. Um, Outside of this conversation we're having, Susan, tell me, this is something I'm asking a lot of educators lately, um, what, in the last three weeks, um, tell me about any resource that's been shared with you that was like a game changer for COVID times. Um, Could be an article, could be a tool, um, could be a uh, a, mm, special meditation you do between... (laughs) Between session, between Zoom calls. Um, oh wow! So I guess we just got webcams, and I did not think we needed them because we had a webcam on our computer. <laughs> so I was like, "What's the point of having a webcam?" But when you're synchronously teaching with students at home and in school, mm. um, it's just been a nice tool to try to create that classroom community. Still, you know. I, I think we're, we're, we're struggling so much to just make sure that our kids know that we're here, um, know that every, you know, know that we're all in this together without sounding so cliche, but, but we are, you know, and that we care about whether they log in or not. We care whether we see their faces or not every day. Um, so I think just other tools that just keep making that connection um, to say, even though we can't be in the physical room together, we're in school together. Um, and, and we want to see you and we want to hear from you. How, so how did the webcam, in addition to the laptop camera, is it, is it that it adds, um, clarity? It adds mobility, mobility even, Mm. you know, because it's an external thing. So I can, it's not, I don't have to walk around with my laptop trying to get a certain angle. I have now the flexibility to say, okay, if we're going to go over here, to this side of the room or to this thing, I can just easily switch over there or even talk to a certain group, nice. have a certain group present. Now everybody can see them and right. feel like they're part of it instead of just 
looking at a stagnant image and not, you know, (laughs) it's like having a camera, (laughs) you know, and I was like, we don't need it, but it really does add a piece of, Hey guys at home, don't be asleep. You know, we're, we're, we want you to be here or, um, we want to see what's going on. You know, we want you to and be part of what's going on. Yeah. It's awesome. I think every, every, uh, teacher, um, should get as good with the shaky cam as, uh, as, as Michael Bay. And, um, you know, it's like such a, it, it's really interesting. Michael Bay, the director, um, it, it's interesting because, um, some of these things it's, it's fun to, um, see what visual devices are being used in the context of like my, my kids, um, video games, for example, which use a lot of old, um, documentary film and and other techniques, um, things like shaky cameras or or um, the point of view, for example, which is like an entire genre of video game. But being able to have a, a separated webcam and and be able to experiment with some of that stuff is such a neat. You know, suddenly you have all these tools for engagement that um, you didn't have before, which is. Um, and it's really so important neat. because we know that the kids, you know, sitting in their room, staring in front of a computer, like we're going to have to work hard to keep that them engaged. I mean, just like you said, like we're almost all turning into documentary filmmakers because we can't bore our kids. So we, we have to figure out ways to still change it up. And if we can't get them up and move into centers and all the stuff that we had just discovered really worked well, well, how are we going to do it this way? You know, and still find out a way to keep everybody up and engaged and moving um, just virtually. So great. Um, Susan, this was so fun and thank you a million. Um, before you go point people to, um, your Twitter handle, anything, anything else, um, where folks can follow your practice and, and be as inspired, um, as I was to, to meet you. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah. My Twitter handle is at Sue Sclafani, S-U-E-S-C-L-A-F-A-N-I. And I have a webpage called mylibraryisnotquiet.org, uh, where I'll post uh, lots of the fun and exciting non-quiet things that happen <laughs> at Oregon Middle School Library. Awesome. Susan, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you too, Mark. I appreciate it. For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter, at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy. A guest in episode zero, alumni of two bomber nations, Ithaca and the Bronx, New York, and engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.